Chapter 13 of The Star Chamber, An Historical Romance, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Star Chamber, Volume 2, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Chapter 13, The Felon Knight. A few more bounds of his steed brought Sir Jocelyn to the royal gallery, where he dismounted, and leaving his steed in charge of an esquire, ascended the stairs in company with the marshals of the field, and presently found himself in the presence of the king. James received him very graciously. On the right of the monarch stood the Conde de Gondomar, who smiled on his protégé as he approached, and glanced at a silver coffer full of diamonds, pearls, emeralds, amethysts, and other precious stones, borne by an attendant in the gorgeous livery of the Marquis of Buckingham. "'We greet ye as victor, Sir Jocelyn,' said James, as the young knight made a profound obeisance to him. "'And it rejoices us to say ye had demeaned yourself honorably and fairly in the field. "'How say ye, sirs?' he added to the marshals and others. "'Shall not the prize of the day be adjudged to Sir Jocelyn?' "'It must be so, of right, your majesty,' replied the foremost of them. "'A better course at the ring could not be run than Sir Jocelyn hath performed.' nor could greater vantage be gained in the joust than he hath obtained over the Marquis of Buckingham. All has been done by him in accordance with the rules of honor, and without fraud or supercherie. Enough, gentlemen, said James. Count, ye hae won your wager, and as to you, Sir Jocelyn, ye hae proved yourself a very mirror of chivalry. Exemplar antiquo fortuninis et mananimitatis. On the pattern of Bayard, the knight without fear and without reproach, and the like of whom we scarce expected to see in these latter days. You are right, weel entitled to the prize ye had gained, and which His Excellency so honorably assigns to you. With your Majesty's permission, I will add the diamond clasp which I staked against the Marquess's casket of gems, said de Gondomar, and will beseech Sir Jocelyn to wear it as a testimony on my part of his merit as a cavalier. It is scarcely too much to say for him, after his recent brilliant achievements, that he takes rank amongst the foremost of the distinguished knights encircling your majesty's throne. "'He takes rank as the first and best,' cried James emphatically, "'since he hath overcome Buckingham, who till this day hath held the chief place among our chivalry.' "'Your majesty overwhelms me by your commendations,' replied Sir Jocelyn, "'and I can only say in reply that my best energies shall be devoted to your service whenever and howsoever called upon.' As to your excellency's gift, he added to de Gondomar, who had unfastened the glittering clasp and presented it to him, I shall ever guard it as a devotee in your own sunny land of Spain would the most precious relic. The coffer containing the gems was then, upon a sign from the king, delivered to Sir Jocelyn, who, as he received it from the attendant, took a string of pearls from it and gave them to the marshal, requesting they might be offered as largesse to the heralds, and the officer promised that the request should be complied with. Having bestowed a similar boon upon each of the marshals, Monchancy requested that the coffer might be placed in charge of his esquire, and his directions were complied with. "'Is all concluded?' demanded the king. "'The contest for the prize is necessarily decided,' replied the marshal. "'But there yet remains the combat with the sword on horseback, if it pleases Sir Jocelyn to engage in it.' "'What saith our young knight?' demanded the king. Is he willing to risk the laurels he hath so fairly won on another, and it may be more dangerous encounter? What he hath already done may fairly entitle him to decline further hazard, if he be so minded. 
"'I should ill-deserve your majesty's high commendations "'if I hesitated for a moment,' replied Monchensey. "'But so far from feeling disinclination to the combat, "'I should regret if this opportunity for further distinction were denied me. "'With your majesty's gracious permission, "'I will pray the marshals of the field "'to let it be proclaimed by the heralds and pursuivants at arms "'that I challenge any true knight to do battle with me with the sword "'and on horseback.' "'Ye will fight with a blunted blade, Sir Jocelyn,' cried the king. "'We maun hae no risk of life.' Our dear dog Steenie hath had his bonny craig well-nigh broken, and we will hang nae mere mischief done. The laws of the tilt-yard, with which Sir Jocelyn is doubtless well acquainted, observed the marshal, require that the edge of the sword shall be dull, as your majesty hath stated, and that no blow shall be dealt with the point of the weapon. These conditions must be strictly observed. They shall be, replied Sir Jocelyn, and I pray you now to do your devoir and make the proclamation." On this the marshal and his followers departed, and Sir Jocelyn, bowing reverently to the king, took his way after them, and descending the stairs, leaped on the back of his charger. Soon after this, and while a sword, blunted in the manner prescribed, was girded round his waist by his esquire, the trumpets were sounded and the challenge proclaimed by the marshal. It was immediately responded to by a blast from the opposite end of the arena, and a herald stationed at this point called out in a loud voice that the challenge was accepted. Again the excitement rose high among the spectators. Again all eyes were directed towards Sir Jocelyn. And again many ardent aspirations were uttered by his numerous fair admirers for his success, though none so fervent as that breathed by Avalon. Sir Jocelyn cast one glance towards that part of the ladies' gallery where he knew her to be placed, and then prepared for his last essay. As yet he knew not who was to be his antagonist, but when a knight in sable armor and with a sable plume upon his helm, rode from beneath the scaffold, he discovered, to his great indignation, that it was Sir Giles Mompesson. After a moment's reflection, he resolved upon a course of action. When the signal for combat was given by the marshal, and Sir Giles, sword in hand, dashed into the arena, Monchensey rode towards him, but, without drawing his sword, and raising himself in the saddle, commanded him in a thundering voice to retire. The impetuosity of Sir Giles's career carried him past his antagonist, but he now wheeled round and regarded Monchensey fiercely from beneath the bars of his helmet. "'Retire,' said you?' he exclaimed. "'Not unless you acknowledge yourself defeated. In my turn, I bid you go back to the point you started from and commence the combat in due form, or I shall hold you vanquished and compel you to abase your crest.' "'Hear me!' cried Sir Jocelyn, "'and let it be heard by all.' I challenged any true knight to the combat, but you answer not to the description. I proclaim you publicly in this place as a false and felon knight, and declare you utterly unworthy of my sword. Back to your starting place, and if the heralds do their duty, they will hack off your spurs and drive you with shame from the lists. And think you I will tamely brook this insult? roared Sir Giles. Draw your sword at once and let it be a mortal combat between us. "'Never,' replied Sir Jocelyn, disdainfully. "'I will not stoop to the level of your infamy.' "'Then stoop to earth,' cried Sir Giles, aiming a terrible blow at him with his sword. "'If the stroke had taken effect as intended, it would probably have made good Mompesson's threat. "'But Sir Jocelyn was too wary and too agile, even for his powerful assailant. "'Before the sword could descend, he seized his adversary's wrist, "'and in another instant possessed himself of the blade.' This he accomplished without injury, as the sword was blunted. 
still maintaining his grasp of the weapon, he raised himself in his stirrups to give additional force to the blow, and with the pommel of the sword struck Sir Giles a blow upon the brain-pan with such violence that he dropped from the saddle as if shot. During this strange scene, not a word had been uttered by the spectators, who looked on with the greatest curiosity, wondering how it would end. As Sir Giles fell from his horse and lay stretched in perfect insensibility on the ground, a tremendous shout was raised, and Sir Jocelyn was as much applauded as if he had performed an extraordinary feat, so universally was the extortioner detested. Nor was there any sympathy manifested when a few moments afterwards Sir Giles was raised from the ground by his pursuivants, and his helmet being removed, exhibited a countenance livid as death, with a stream of blood coursing slowly down his temples. Many would have been well pleased if he had been killed outright, but the Surgeon in attendance pronounced that he was only stunned by the blow. End of chapter 13